Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 226, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we've got a lot. We'll get to it all, man. We've got Cowboys, the draft. You realize that as we record this, because we record these, like you guys listen to it on Friday, we record it on Thursdays. We are recording this on Thursday night. Three weeks from right now, the first round of the NFL draft will be happening. We are three weeks away from the NFL draft, so we've got that. Got a couple little things for you in the block. Tiger at the Masters, which is a a lightning rod of fascination. The Rangers are opening their season tonight, as many of you listen to this on April 8th. The Mavs have two games left in the regular season, and by the time you listen to us on Monday, their regular season will be over. A lot to get to, and we couldn't get to any of it without our friends, without the greatness that is the attorney's at Greening Law. I always tell people this, and I don't know if you'll ever need it, but I know that when it happens to you, your first thought will be, oh my God, we hear a jam session talking about them all the time. I, what's the number? 972-934-8900. You've been hurt in a car accident. You went to a doctor and you're like, what the hell? This guy, this is malpractice. You were standing in line at a business and the ceiling tile fell off and landed on your head and you needed to go get stitched. There's so many different reasons and so many different clients and cases that they have represented, and it does not get much better than Greening Law. Give them a call and let them be your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. Dude, there's no, uh, I don't think that there's a better better group to let handle your case. Here's it, it doesn't require anything to pick up the phone, tell them your situation, and hope that they take you on as a client. I say hope that they take you on as a client because they're really good at what they do. And part of that is because they answer all the questions that you've got. Then they answer some questions that <laughs> you didn't know you had. And to me, that's that's a real kicker because that makes you feel like they're handling all your business, that you're prepared, that uh, you're being taken care of, which is what you want when you're in the situation that you're in, when and, you come to them. Yep, and the reality of it is, it is a consultation that costs you absolutely nothing. Because you may be, and I get it, because when I had a car accident, it's like, I'm pretty sure that I have a case here, but I didn't know, but I knew who to call. So I called Green Law. I was like, look, this is what happened to me. And, and they said, okay, yeah, you got a case. We're going to take you on. And the thing of it is that consultation, absolutely free. 972-934-8900. 
972-934-8900. Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. The draft, man. I The closer we get to the draft, the more and more excited I get. It, it merges two of my favorite things on the planet, which is college football and professional football. I, I love, and it's funny because obviously being in Birmingham where I do my radio show, we watch gobs and gods of college football. And it's funny to see certain people that do mainly pro football stuff. They'll tweet out video. They'll tweet out, my God, this guy or this guy. And in the college realm, when you're real familiar with college, you just kind of laugh and you go, yeah, like six months ago, I was like, dude, this guy's going to like, I, I'm all over him for a first round pick or whatever the case may be. But I love that it's kind of a time period where that gets merged together. And so we're going to go through the draft machine here. And we do this, I think we've done it a couple of times already on the podcast this year. You guys should know by the time now that you're listening to this, how this works. Before we do that, though, let me ask you this, because I, I was going through this the other day and I'm fascinated. This is such an interesting first round of the draft eight different teams in the NFL, eight, one-fourth of the NFL, eight teams have two first-round draft picks this year. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it gives people the ability to move around the board if they so choose. Mm -hmm. The issue, I think, is this to me is, a based on what I've read, because I'm not a draft nick, all right? Never claimed to be. But this is a draft that's, got, that's loaded with prospects, all right? But I don't think it's loaded with star quality. I agree. And yeah. and so what I'm saying is those those teams with two picks, normally you'd say, okay, you got two picks. Now you want to package them together, move into the top ten or move into the top five. I think this year they'll take those two picks and they'll just stay where they are and, and you know, pick who's who's there because there's not a lot of difference between good players. Um, and so I think that's how it's gonna turn out. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think this is also one of those interesting drafts because it, it, the closer we get, it really feels like Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the number one overall pick, the defensive end from Michigan to the Jags. But man, once you get past that, it it is so wide open where that group right behind him of guys that would be considered in most drafts true first, first rounders, I've seen so many different mocks that have so many different players going from like two to 10. I've seen Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, slotted to Carolina at six. I've seen him slotted at 18 to the Saints. I mean, I've seen Sauce Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati. I've seen him go two to the Lions. I've seen him go in the 20s. I, and this is one of the things where it's really wild to me, and it kind of goes to what you're talking about, how there doesn't seem to be these bona fide, like true first round guys this year. And I'd be curious to see how many how many actual first round grades guys are getting from teams this year. This is how you get in trouble, bro. You know what I mean? And what I mean is this is where you end up uh, you know, picking a guy or moving around and getting a guy and you're like, ah, he's not really that good when we get him. You know? And so I think it's also a draft where I wouldn't be surprised to me if somebody falls to the Cowboys and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe that guy fell. And that's because everybody's board is going to yeah. be so different because there's not a lot of separation between these guys. Um, you know, the, the uh, Thibodeau from Oregon. Yep. 
that that dude could go to number two, and it wouldn't surprise me. That dude could last to twelve, and yep. it wouldn't surprise me. I agree because it all depends on what you think about him. Whether you think he's a great player with great talent, and the knocks of him, people are just nitpicking him, or whether you think, dude, he's got great talent, but I don't know if he brings it every play, and once he gets paid, he may really shut it down. Uh, and then somebody will be like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's there. He's got these flaws we didn't like, but we can't pass on him here. And so, to me, he's uh, he's one of those guys, and there's a few of them like that, man. Where's Jameson Williams going? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could go anywhere, and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but at a certain point, the later you get in the draft, meaning that you've already got a good team and you can wait on him, then the more likely it is to me that he goes. There's a lot of those guys, man. Trayvon Walker, the edge rusher out of Georgia, who I think – probably at the end of the college football season might have been a 20 you know late round first round pick now people are saying top 10 for him you look at a guy like Kyle Hamilton the safety out of Notre Dame that again safeties generally speaking unless you are some revolutionary safety you don't see them get drafted very high I've seen him slotted at number two to the Lions because there are some that believe he's a a revolutionary type safety there's others that believe okay he might be a borderline top 10. Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback out of LSU, who a lot of people thought coming in was the best cornerback in this class, had an injury last year, didn't play a lot. There are now some thoughts that he might fall not just out of the top 10, but out of the top 20. So it's a really interesting draft. Now, that that being said, we get into the draft machine, and I'll tell you, this one, every time we do this, you just never know. It's so random, which is one of the things I love about this Whatever the algorithm is that this website uses, I really enjoy it. And I'll tell you, for instance, Aiden Hutchinson, they have number one. They have the second overall pick going to Detroit, Malik Willis, the quarterback. (laughs) See, and we all may be going like, what the hell? But if you look at a lot of mocks, a lot of mocks have the Lions taking a quarterback at 32. Well, if you're going to take a quarterback in the first round and you really like one of them, why not take them at number two? Yeah, bro, but he ain't. He ain't Nobody in this two. class is. Right. But see, that's the problem is, is I, I've seen Kenny Pickett go sixth overall to the Carolina Panthers. I don't think that's going to happen. But then you read these articles where Sam Darnold basically is cool because he's under the understanding that Carolina is looking at quarterbacks at number six. If it happens at six, and here's, again, this is how it works. And you know this, but for our audience, if, if there is a... If somebody truly believes Carolina is in the market for a quarterback at six, it changes everything because all of a sudden, my God, we've got to get ahead of Carolina. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, but, dude, it's just um, – I, I have mean, a hard time I don't, like, I don't, like, this is what I'm talking about when I say you don't want to force it. Like, okay, yeah, you want a quarterback. There's nobody – who thinks Kenny Pickett is a difference maker. Right. They think he's a solid quarterback. Um, and I just read this the other day. Somebody said, you're going to be very disappointed when you draft Kenny Pickett if you're in Carolina and you pull him in with the sixth pick and then you find out that Sam Donald's got a quicker release and something else and a stronger arm. Yeah, I, I don't get yeah. the Kenny Pickett. Like, to me, I, Malik Willis, I understand. Matt Corral, I understand. I don't understand Kenny Pickett. Well, Kenny Pickett is all about – I think one. I mean, he had you know he's one of the quarterbacks you look at as a first round guy, but I think the other thing with him is 
you know, he committed to Temple and Matt Rule out of high school. Yeah. And then when Matt Rule went to Baylor, he 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 decommitted and went to Pitt. So I think people are going, oh, he liked him in high school, so he'll like him here. And uh, you know, that's where the that's where the connection goes. Yeah, and it's it's gonna be very interesting. You know, it's one of those things few years back when Kansas City traded up to land Pat Mahomes and it stunned everybody, there's a difference between trading from the 20s up to like 10 or 12 versus trading up to try and even crack into the top five. I mean, what you're giving up is just so much different at that level, which is why for a quarterback of a Willis Pickett, Matt Corral pedigree, I don't see teams being willing to give up what it would cost to jump up even to the top 10 to draft one of these guys. Now, I, the Saints may be like, they need a quarterback. They traded. They already have They have the 16th and 19th pick. They may be sitting there going, okay, well, we're worried that maybe a team's going to – I could see the Saints trying to make a jump from 16 to 10 or something like that. But trying to get in the top five, man, I mean, the amount of capital you have to give up to make that big of a jump for these guys just doesn't seem to make sense. No, I, I just don't see it. You know, the other interesting thing is – to me, is when you got all these guys uh, with with two picks. We talked about it before. There's only so many guys with first round grades. Yeah. Uh, normally, it's 14 to 16. Sometimes you get 18. Uh, and if this is a really good draft, maybe you think so. But given the names on the board, man, I bet there are fewer than 18 this year. I would agree. Uh, I would agree. It's yeah. probably like 14. And again, that means you don't want to trade up. And just just to be trading up, just to fill a need with a lesser talent. So let's get into the draft machine for us. Because again, as I was saying, like you look at some of these guys that are gone. We get to the Cowboys at 24. This is where it gets interesting for me because we've gone through this exercise a couple of times. Both times we took the, uh, the wide receiver. Those wide receivers are available to us again. Chris Olave is there. Traylon Burks is there. But also, the offensive lineman, Kenyon Green, is there, who I believe had a visit with the Cowboys today, actually. Tyler Lindenbaum, the offensive lineman from Iowa, but the Cowboys don't have him on their 30-visit list. I think right now, just based on their visit list, and we talked with Archer about this in our last podcast, it's either going to be an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. It's weird because I have a hard time believing that of the, I think it's seven guys combined... I don't think any of them there are there in the second round, but for sake of just doing this differently, I think we should take offensive linemen. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. And, and I think he's a viable pick. Uh, he can play guard, obviously. Uh, he's got some versatility, and he's supposed to be just a dominant player at guard. And that's what they could need. It'd be nice to slide a guy in there and not have to worry about him for the next four or five years. Yeah, so I think I would just put that with Kenyon Green the offensive lineman, the guard from Texas A&M. And then that moves us to the second round where here is where I think it gets interesting because you start looking at wide receivers. And we had mentioned this. If you want a wide receiver in the second round, there are two very interesting names that I that I honestly believe will be there at 56, three weeks from right now. And that is the wide receiver out of Purdue, David Bell, and the wide receiver out of Alabama coming off of an injury in John Mechie. I really think both those guys will be there. They're here in our mock draft. And so I actually, to some degree, I almost feel more comfortable making sure you get the offensive lineman that you like a lot in the first round. And in the second round, you still have high-quality wide receiver available for you. Yeah, who would you take? 
Well, I mean, out of those two, I got to go with the guy that I saw play every snap that he had <laughs> personally. They, they're, they're different guys because David Bell is a bigger wide receiver, uh, a little bit more physical. I think he's 6'2", like 215. And Mechie is a smaller receiver who runs very precise routes. He's 5'11", like 190, I think. But just because I've seen everything John Mechie has done, I would be, for me, I'd go John Mechie. I say I'd probably go Bell because one, I need, uh, I ain't really, see, now see, this might be how you get in trouble. I ain't really trying to wait on Mechie and his, and his knee, even if it's for a couple of weeks, even though we're talking about four years. Uh, first two or three weeks of the season, just as, as important as the last ones, we got to get off to a good start if you're yeah. thinking like a Cowboys. And the thing I like about Bell is highly productive, big screen. Um, now, the knock on him is a lot of people are like, well, he, does, he, he doesn't run great or this or that. Sometimes, bro, I'm like, he's a football player who makes plays. You know what? I'm, I can ride with that. You're talking about a guy for Purdue. It's somewhat similar to me to Traylon Burks, but I like Burks better, which is why he's a first-round guy. But Bell is a guy who he had almost 100 catches last year for Purdue, 1,300 yards, and you knew he was getting the ball. You knew that they were going to go to David Bell, and he still had the ability, despite that, to put up numbers. And to be fair with Mechie, you had Jamison Williams on the other side. You know, Mechie was the guy that last year when Jalen Waddle went down with Alabama, Mechie came in and put up numbers and was totally fine. But it, 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 I can understand the concern there where you sit there and you say, okay, if we draft Mechie, two out of our top three wide receivers are coming off ACLs. Exactly. Do we want that? No. Okay, so we're taking David Bell from the hated Purdue. Gross, God. <laughs> I hate Purdue, and I've, I've said that story for a few times of why. So now we get to the third round, and again, I think that we're... It, it, the way this draft lays out, I, I really like what the Cowboys' ability to pull out of the first two rounds is going to be. The third round is where this is going to get interesting for us because you've got a couple of linebackers here. You've got tight ends. I know for Jeremy Ruckert, again, I think we took him the last time. He's on their visit list. They need a tight end. He will not be there in the fourth round. If he's there at 88 in the third round and you want that level of tight end, you're going to have to pull the trigger in the third round on Jeremy Ruckert. Um, is your boy from A&M the tight end there? Let's see, Weidermeyer is, yes, he is there, but uh, it, this mock has him rated quite a bit lower. And, you know, Weidermeyer is a guy that I think will be there maybe fourth, maybe even fifth round. But again, it's like, okay, how much higher do we think Ruckert is as a tight end, and is it worth pulling the trigger in the third round for this guy? Yeah, I think so. Because I think Ruckert's, let me, and again, much like Matt says, hey, I got my, my Mechie bias from, from watching him play yeah, snap. Yeah. The thing about Rucker is ignore his Ohio State stats because if you think about Ohio State, um, and they've done this for years now, between the, their emphasis on running the ball, because they had a running back who's a freshman who's unbelievable. He'll be in the NFL in two more years. Uh, and the fact that they throw the ball a lot to their three receivers, the tight end doesn't get any targets, bro. Yeah. I mean, they're catching like two, two passes a game. And so he was as productive as he could be in really limited targets to the point where I'm like, I'm sure he was wondering, like, why is a receiving tight end that I believe the BS they told me? To get 
<laughs> to your point, catching two passes a game, Jeremy Ruckert last year for Ohio State averaged two catches a game for 24 yards. But I'm telling you, he was the number one tight end coming out of high school. Dudes can run. He's got terrific hands. They just didn't use him because they had an array of other weapons. 6'5", 250. Here's something else. Jason Witten was 6'5", 265. So 6'5", 250 is good physical range, and you get to an NFL weight room, they'll put another 10 pounds on him easy. So let's do it. Let's take Jeremy Ruckert. And again, this is much like last year. I wanted them to take defensive players as like nothing but defensive players. I basically did. I feel like this year I'm almost like that with the offense, like shore up this offense, fill in some holes. And then when you have some of these extra picks, and we talked about this with Archer on our last podcast, you have nine picks. If you need to, if you want to, you can get that cheap help you're so concerned about. You can load up on all kinds of defensive filler. But make sure you're getting some impact guys with your first three picks, and I think we've done a good job of doing that, albeit all of them are impact guys offensively. Well, yeah, but you're trying to make the team better. And so right now, um, they're an offensive team, and the offensive lacking. And so uh, you got to get it right. Uh, otherwise, you got no shot. Yeah, and then you get into the fourth round, and we're already on day three where things can get a little wonky for you here a little bit. And most of the guys the Cowboys have on their pre-draft list are probably gone by the fourth round. I don't know that there's anybody that would be available that makes sense to, to take here in the fourth round, but there is right. a name that I recognize, John Ridgway, who's a defensive tackle from Arkansas. He's 6'5", 330 pounds starting nose tackle for Arkansas. And he is, I mean, he's just one of those big-bodied, beefy dudes in the middle, if that's something that you're interested in. Do the Cowboys want him? Do they want him in the fourth round? I don't know. I could see him taking him, but, you know, if there if there are better options, I could see them jumping at it as well. I don't think, I think the thing that the Cowboys do is you really can't appreciate, regardless of whether you agree with the poor, their choices or not, is they set their team up so that they're never really desperate to do something, which is why we keep going back and forth over, you know, receiver or guard or whatever in the first round, because they don't have to do anything. They have the flexibility to, uh, to make moves yeah. because of the way that they've set up their roster. Yeah, so you have that, and then, I mean, there's a couple of guys. Oh, Isaiah Thomas, the edge rusher from Oklahoma, is here. If you wanted to go defense, Jalen Watson, the cornerback out of Washington State, uh, Evans from Missouri, Kobe Bryant, the other cornerback in Cincinnati, which if, if you want a secondary piece, you could do worse than him. A couple of offensive linemen and whatnot. So a lot of these names, I mean, are from smaller schools at this point or guys that I'm just not real that familiar with other than the ones that I named. True that. I'd say go take the rusher. All right, well, let's go get them. Then Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma, our edge rush. So that'd be, the you know, your first four rounds, which again – in the mocks that we've done, I, I actually really like the way that this draft sets out for the Cowboys for the first two days. No, they, they should be – I mean, we're happy with that draft. Yeah. They should be thrilled with that draft because it fills needs with uh, guys who are productive in college, but guys who – the picks make sense. All I ever ask for a pick because you understand that yeah. they may or they work – they might or they might not work out. Uh, but the pick makes sense, man. And if it made sense, I can ride with it, even if it doesn't work out. And, uh, again, we did it last year. I'm sure we'll do it again this year. We'll do, a, at least hopefully, a, a late podcast on 
NFL draft night when we'll jump on after the first round concludes. But man, I always get excited about it. I wasn't crazy excited at Micah Parsons last year because I think we all had our, our hearts kind of set on Patrick Sertan, but Micah Parsons turned out like a beast. And for the most part, the Cowboys have drafted really well in recent years. And I think there's some excitement for that. You can believe when they say, well, we're not as good as we're going to be because the draft's coming. Even though other teams apparently aren't as concerned about the salary cap. <laughs> you can't not. Hey, it's impossible they, to bring it up. I mean, they do what they do, bro. They do. <laughs> So does Bruce Biltong, by the way. If you haven't had your Biltong yet, what are you waiting for? Do it. Try it. Eat it. It's Biltong. It's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. Jacques and I both are huge fans of this. I've always had a bag. Ever since they started advertising, I mean, this is reality. This is truth. Ever since they started working with us on the podcast, because I'd never had it before until they reached out to me. I was like, well, let me try it. I tried it. I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. I have had a, bar, a bag of Biltong in the house ever since. I, I, I love it. And part of the reason why I love it, and I've talked about this before, is because both you and I work out a lot. And a lot of the times my post-workout, you know, I'll, I'll eat tuna or I'll eat Biltong. Because they're right. both very high in protein, but they're low calorie. And it's a perfect post-workout snack. No, it's, it's absolutely perfect. And, you know, I get down with it because a two-ounce pouch I think it's got 240 calories, 30 grams yep. of protein, which is a lot. And it's uh, it's good for recovery if you're doing what Matt does. For me, I like it because it fills you up, bro. You can have, for me, it's two or three handfuls, and yeah. I'm straight for a couple of hours, especially if I dine it with some sparkling water. But uh, that's what I like about it because, you know, anybody who's into nutrition, uh, it's great. But it's also good that it's tasty, man. And, you know, nobody's ever described biltong or beef jerky-like food. It's succulent and tender and juicy, but damn it, that's what it is. Yes, it is, man. It really is. It's fantastic. I I honestly believe you will enjoy it. Try it today. It's Bruce Biltong. They're supporting us. Please support them. He's a good dude, too. I mean, you guys probably remember a couple of months ago, we did a sponsor spotlight with them and talked to him. He was on the podcast. He's just a cool guy, man. Great idea. Bruce Biltong at BruceBiltong.com, B R U S. B-I-L-T-O-N-G dot com. Use that promo code JAM15 at checkout and you will get 15% off your order. It does not get better than that. Also, of course, JR, his guy's a freeway tire shop. We say this, when you think JR, you're going to think trust. When you think about JR, you will think about trust. And to me, and I've said this many, many times, the one thing I want to find in a mechanic is a guy I can trust that's doing the work he says he's going to do at a fair price. And as Jacques can tell you, JR does that better than any mechanic we've ever encountered. Nah, man. And, you know, part of that is because he learned how to do it when he was in a management program at Home Depot. And uh, he took that to this business. And he's just great about it, man. Um, you know, I think you can trust him to diagnose what's wrong with your car. You can trust him to use quality parts to fix it. Trust him to give you a fair price. That's what I that's what I appreciate most. And then the fact that he'll stand by his work, you can trust him to do that. I'm actually going to see him tomorrow because I got to get an inspection sticker. And uh, he does it all, man. Inspection stickers, oil changes, big time things like putting a new engine. Did that for my Challenger. Smaller jobs. You know, he does it all. He does. And it's easy. He's just right north of downtown Dallas. It's easy to get to him. He's such a good dude. His, his whole crew 
is just like that, man. And you can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote at freewaytireshop.com. Make sure you let him know you heard about him on Jam Session. He loves talking about the show, man. He's a big listener, just like all you guys that we appreciate so much. Let's move into the block. And I just have a couple of things for you. First, I came across this and I thought it was really interesting. Are you a Pink Floyd fan at all, the band? No. See, and I'm not really either. But I wonder if it's one of those things, like like I wasn't a huge Led Zeppelin guy until I read their autobiography, or not their auto, but the big biography I read last year. And I got so intrigued, I started listening to some Led Zeppelin, and I started to realize how great their music was. Really? Well, Pink Floyd is releasing their first new music in 28 years, minus Roger Waters. And they've gotten back together as a group in support of the Ukraine. Uh, so you're saying they came together just since this, this war is broken yeah. up? They, they teamed up. Their guitarist and singer, it's David Gilmore, their drummer, Nick Mason, their bassist guy, Pratt. And they teamed up to create a song called Hey, Hey, Rise Up to support the UN's Ukraine Humanitarian Fund, which is kind of wild. Like, it, it's interesting to me, a band, like, I think even if you don't like their music or you're not as familiar with their music, I think everybody kind of know, like, you know the name Pink Floyd. Right. I mean, you've heard of them, right? I hope. Yeah, 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 I've heard <laughs> right. of them. You know, because I think they've got that iconic that the the image I know from them is like I don't even know what you call it, like a prism on a back a, a black background with the rainbow shooting through it or whatever, the dark side of the moon, I think it was. You know, and they've got a lot of stuff I'm familiar with, but I bet that's one of those bands that has a lot more songs that I know and am familiar with than I realize if I go back and listen to them again. Uh maybe. So maybe they've got two of those for me. Uh, I think you're talking. I remember, like, I remember the wall. That's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I remember that uh, that that album cover, but I mean, I don't know none of the songs on here. Yeah, the wall. I remember very well. They had comfortably numb. One. I think I'm familiar of the uh, another brick in the wall is that song. I'm trying to think, hey you, I know that song. Us and them, learning yeah. to fly, the great gig in the sky. So many great songs. <laughs> the great gig in the sky, like that. I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to have to go back and listen to more of them. There's some old school like uh, rock bands like that that, you know, I, I came up with Bruce Springsteen and, and Fleetwood Mac and bands like that where I never really got into Pink Floyd. And I'm sure my dad and my mom listened to them at some point, but I don't recall hearing them while I was growing up as much. Yeah, and I, I would say for in general, in general, because I like a song here or there. Yeah. I ain't, got no, I ain't got no interest in classic rock. All right. Fair enough. So the other thing I have for you, and I was curious, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, <laughs> Richard. But we did this the other day on my radio show, and it ended up being really interesting. Because we, and you and I have talked about this, like our favorite TV shows of all time. But what do you think are some of the most underrated TV shows of all time? Underrated TV shows. Yes, yeah, you know, I thought this was it. I was like, okay, so what do we consider underrated? Is it something that we really enjoyed that you didn't hear about a lot, I would think? Okay, let me ask you this. Would The Shield be underrated? See, and, and a couple of my listeners tweeted in and said, if you don't have The Shield on there, then you're way off. But to me, I was like, well, I don't think it's underrated. I loved it. I think it's one of the top 10 shows of all time. And I know a lot of like my friends that think that. So I didn't think it was underrated, but I could see why people would say that because I don't know that it got a lot of that critical acclaim, perhaps. I may have seen... Just a handful of episodes of Friday Night Lights. I've seen the entire series twice. 
Wow. I love that show. I thought it was phenomenal. The camera work on it was so original. The way they shot it, it was so realistic. And, I mean, you've been around Texas high school football enough. Like, to me, small-town Texas high school football, they nailed it. All right. Uh, If I had time, I'd probably go back and watch some of that. Another one of the shows that I put on there was Better Call Saul. Dude, I swear to you. In my head was, I wonder if Better Call Saul is too popular. See, and I wonder that too, but I never hear anybody talking about Better Call Saul, and I think it's one of the best shows. Like, there are elements of it that I think, it's almost like they they put out Breaking Bad and like, okay, so everybody loved that and that's badass. Let's up the game a little bit. Like, in some ways, there are times where it's better than Breaking Bad. Dude, Better Call Saul is fantastic. It's, I, th- I agree. Matter of fact, one of my great frustrations in life is I didn't catch it until it had been on for a couple seasons. And I can, it was extremely hard to figure out where it was so that you could watch all the back seasons in one yeah. spot. Well, now like it's on Netflix. All the back seasons? All five seasons. And then season six comes out on April 18th. And that's the final season. And that'll be on AMC. Dude, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's enough for me to be like, yo, let me let me go find, let me go do that, let me go watch those. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it is really good. But see, and then I wonder, am I off on this? Because in five seasons, it's received thirty nine Emmy awards or nominations, and it's been nominated for outstanding drama series for each of its five seasons. So the critical acclaim is there. But I sw- like. I don't have anybody who talks about like, hey man, are you watching Better Call Saul? Like nobody ever mentions that show to me. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, like none of my friends sit around and talk about it. And it's never won. Okay, I just told you it's been nominated for thirty nine primetime Emmys. It's never won. Never. I mean, but the competition is so stiff. It is. It is, and it's never won a Golden Globe, even though Bob Odenkirk's been nominated four times. For his role as Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman, so I had that on there. Another show, yeah, it's, a, it's a really good show, dude. It, like that's what I thought. And then I thought, like my top three when we got into it, I thought were probably more of what people think of. And I don't know if you ever saw this, but the newsroom that I believe was on HBO, it it starred uh, Jeff Daniels, and he played a a Fox News, CNN, MSNBC level, like big time Bill O'Reilly type anchor on one of those cable news shows. And it was only three seasons. It only lasted 25 episodes, but my God, it was good. And it's an Aaron Sorkin, you know, he did West Wing and like a real dialogue and written real well. And and I mean, some of the, I I thought that was a fantastic show. It had a really solid ensemble cast, and it just, after three seasons, just went away. Okay, see, now you got me thinking. Um, You know, I never saw that. What station did it come on? I believe it was HBO. Like, I'm I'm pretty, it was either HBO or Showtime, but I'm I'm almost positive it was HBO. No, I missed all of that. I was. It was HBO. Yeah, I just looked it up. It was HBO. Speaking of HBO. Because that's another show you can probably get on HBO and watch it now. Is uh, Mind Hunters, man? They gave me yeah. two seasons. That was on Netflix, then, yeah. 
and then they disappeared, bro. And I was just like, where's the third? Oh, See, it's fantastic. Mindhunter, one of the guys in our show put Mindhunter on his list. And my thing with that was I don't know how much more they could do because Mindhunter was taken off of an actual book that John Douglas wrote. And John Douglas is a guy from the FBI who created serial killer profiling. And right. so Mindhunter is a, it's a true story. And, and so once you get past the book and the serial killers that are in the book, I don't know how you continue the show if you don't have, because it wasn't like fictionally written. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, damn it. They should have made it. From, <laughs> I mean, I guess they could have in some way because actually I can't remember what I did first. Uh, I think I read the books first. Yeah, I did. And then yeah. I saw the show. And it's so, God, it's so good, man. You know, and they they could have done it where it was Mindhunter, BTK, or whatever, because John Douglas has a book about the BTK killer. And, yeah. and maybe they, instead of having like a variety of killers throughout the thing, they could have just had it, okay, he's written other books. Let's take the series and just incorporate the, this next book in it, even though it doesn't really connect with, the, with Mindhunter, in a sense. Yeah, I think I did that, too. The other show that I had, and I don't know how many people have seen this, but this was a show that lasted four seasons, 40 episodes. It was originally on AMC. I believe it is now on Netflix where you can watch it. It's called Halt and Catch Fire. I never heard of it. It is a show that is set in the years from 1983 at the show's beginning to 1995, and it depicts a fictionalized view of the personal computer revolution of the 1980s and the growth and invention of the World Wide Web in the early 1990s. All right, what makes that good? The acting, it is fascinating to me to see. I mean, we're talking about, for instance, one of the scenes in one of the earlier shows on that, they go to a computer convention and they think that they've got this great computer that they've invented and they see all like nobody's coming to their suite to look at their computer. And then they go down the hall because Macintosh and they're like, what's so great about this? And they hear a voice come out of the computer, say, hello, I am Apple or whatever the original Macintosh said. And everybody's right. blown away. And to me, I thought it was really cool to see like, my God, that was 35 years ago. And they, they couldn't believe they figured out a way to make a computer speak. And now we've got, you know, we've got a, a, I can ask my smart speaker anything I want. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just thought the technological advances that they do a good job of showing the struggle behind the scenes of the people who developed all that originally in the 80s was really interesting. Okay. Now, when you put it like that, all right, I, I, I feel it a little bit more. Yeah, because what's, fat, what's interesting about it is the main characters, there's a sales guy who's a really, really good sales guy. There's somebody who owns a company who's older, but he doesn't, he, he kind of understands like, okay, th these people, these young kids like are onto something with these computers, but I don't really get it. And then there's the young people who are like, no, 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 we can do this and take it here and take it here. And then the sales guy's like, no, make it like this. And he's a really smart, like intellectual guy, but he can sell the shit out of anything. And all that kind of combines with the people who write the code who are like, well, no, you can't promise we're going to have 500 computers ready by this. I mean, why'd you sell that? Like, for us to build a computer like that, it'd have to look like the size of a car. Like, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> right, right. And it right. kind of really, it, it does a really good job of depicting, and I don't know, maybe, I never thought about it before until I saw the show. I was like, holy crap. I mean, I remember having, uh, we've talked about the first computers we've had in the show before. I remember my first ever computer I got in fourth grade in the very late 80s. It was a Tandy 256K. 
256K was the total memory on the entire computer. Dude, I got that on my phone now. Yeah, you know, like a song is more than that on your phone. Right, 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 right. And so just that kind of evolution of it. And then when they start getting into uh, like season four, the final season deals more with they kind of stumble into what the web is and it kind of exists, but they're like, oh, this is going to be the future. And people are like, what? That, and it's just so crazy to look back and think, I mean, now we do, every, I mean, hell, you and I are doing this podcast on the internet, essentially. And, and that's how we're connecting with each other. And to see the beginnings of it and the people who thought, well, that's never going to, why would anybody use that? Like, that's dumb. And then the people who are at the forefront fighting for it, like, no, this is where everything's going to be 20 years from now. Everything will be here. It's, it's, it's an interesting depiction. Dude. Fictionalized. It's, it's fictionalized. It's, but It sounded boring, but now it sounds a lot more interesting. <laughs> Man, it got to the point, I'll tell you this, and I don't want to ruin it, but it got to a point where season four, something happens to one of the main characters, and I almost cried. Really? I was that invested in it, and it was such a good dude. And, and I, it, it's, it's a really interesting show. And I will tell you this, and I... And, there is something to me nostalgic about the 80s because I grew up in the 80s. The Americans, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the Americans might be another one of those underrated shows. Dude, that was my favorite show for about five seasons. And it was based in the 80s. And I think it's really cool when I see shows whose main characters are like in their 30s in the 80s because my parents were in their 30s and I feel like I'm kind of getting a little bit of a glimpse into what my parents were probably like in the 80s. Because I was a little kid. No, I know. I know that's weird. But I was a little kid. And I remember, like, you know, I mean, your mom and dad, at least for me, my parents were just so amazing and, and like, larger than life. And now I'm like, well, shit, man. I mean, I would have hung out with my parents. Like, if I had met my parents when they were 35 and I was 35, we would have gone out and drank and I'd have gone to their house. And little Matt would have come in the room like, oh, hey, Matt, what's going on? And we would have, it would have been a fun time. And so sometimes when I watch these shows that are set in the 80s like that, I kind of think, you know, oh, we had that wicker furniture. or We had a phone that looked like that on the wall or whatever. And it, I don't know. It, it's kind of a cool glimpse into maybe what my parents were kind of like and what their lives were like and, and some of the experiences wow. they had as adults. How about that? I know, man. I know. It's weird. But I think about that. I have a weird memory. I don't know. So there's Not, that. Uh, there's that. Now, that's part of what makes you special is you, you look at the world from a different perspective. <laughs> Very, yes. And, and that's good. I guess. You know I, mean? I mean, that's that's what makes people <laughs> unique. Uh, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about you who's in the radio entertainment or writers or different, the best writers and stuff. Like, like for real, think about it. Stephen King is a success because he views the world through a different prism than everybody yeah. else. Yeah. And he does it at such a high level that that's why he's successful. But lots of people like that. That's very true. That is very true. So we'll move forth here after that interesting little trip there around the block. And the Masters, round one was today. By the time most of you listen to this, round two will be well underway. I've never done this ever before. I've, I've never watched the Masters on ESPN Plus at 10 o'clock in the morning on round one. I watched Tiger's first five holes today online because I was I'm fascinated by the fact that this dude has gone through everything he's gone through and is competing at the level that he's at I that it fascinates me played great golf he played a saw a safe round you could tell he was don't screw it up let's play for even par let's get through this let's put up a, a good number he ended up at one under for the day and for a guy 
You know, to me, this isn't Tiger's not returning at the Genesis Invitational or the Valero Open. Tiger hasn't played competitive golf in almost 18 months and is making his return at one of the most difficult golf courses on the planet. At the Masters, at that level, this isn't going against a field of, eh, there's three or four guys in the top 10. He is playing <laughs> against every single one of the best golfers on the planet, and that's where he makes his return, and he goes one under. I, fascinating. Dude, I uh, I paid attention as much as I could while I was traveling, um, but it was uh, it was riveting, uh, and I think he did what he exactly what he wanted to do today, yep. stay in the race. Don't Don't get eliminated today. Make sure you're in contention to make the cut easy, and then go see what happens on uh, Saturday and Sunday. He's tied for 10th right now. He is four back of the leader, Sunjay M, who is at five under. Cameron Smith is four under. few dudes at three under, a couple of guys at two under, and then uh, Tiger and eight other dudes are at one under, including names like Will Zalatoris, uh, Webb Simpson, Harry Higgs, several guys. But what's interesting is this is going to be fascinating to see how the weekend plays out because a cold front for this area of the country, like right now for me, it's in the low 50s, and it's going to drop into the low 40s overnight here in Birmingham, and we're we're not that far away from Augusta, all things considered. And so it's going to be a very chilly morning tomorrow, and winds are supposed to gust between 20 and 30 miles an hour tomorrow during the day. I talked to my brother about it, and I said, what do you think about tomorrow? And he goes, man, with the weather and the wind that's coming through, he, my brother Mark, who's a PGA teaching professional, he said, I'd be, I, he said, honestly, I'll be surprised if anybody breaks 70 tomorrow with the conditions. Wow. So the um, fact that Tiger's right there, you're going to see a lot of moving around tomorrow in round five or round two, excuse me, as we move in through the weekend to see, you know, those guys who are four or five under – can they stay there and hold on to that without dropping back? Well, I mean, I think it, it depends on – it can be cold, but as long as you don't have a bunch of wind and stuff, you yeah, can still make it happen. It's the wind, yep. Uh, and, you know, with that course, man, it's about shot making, dude. Staying in the fairways and then making shots. You ain't got to be, be spectacular. You just got to make shots. If you look at Tiger today, it was all about the putter, man. He had it working, and it, 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 it uh, compensated for his driver – uh, being a little off out of whack. Yeah, and it's fascinating because they had a beautiful day there in Augusta today. And then as the cold front moves through tomorrow, it drops the temperatures down. The high in Augusta on Saturday is 58 degrees, which is similar to us. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be in the – we're a couple of degrees warmer than that because we're supposed to get the more chill of it tomorrow, and then it moves through and, and we'll head towards Georgia. But we'll see. I'm pulling for them. I put something out on Twitter earlier today, and, and I thought a lot about this. I, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are, how can you root for a guy who has done all the things that he's done and has been, but in some aspects, a shitty human being to people in his life? And I said, you know what? I put this on Twitter. I wish I had lived, and this is, this is true, I wish I had lived a life of such perfection and no mistakes that I could judge Tiger and root against him what bliss those people must function in. But instead, I root for a flawed man whose transgressions have been amplified a million more times than I hope that mine ever are. And I, I, I look at that and I look at things, you know, to me, Tiger's 46, I think, 47. You're right. There are times in my 40s now where I look at things when I was younger and go, 
if I were going to live it again, I, I might do that differently. But I didn't at the time because I, I did make mistakes and I did things that maybe you'd look back at and you're not necessarily proud of. And I think one of the things is, are, are we not allowed to make those mistakes? And you could, well, Tiger did all these chicks behind his wife's back. Okay, is he still doing that? Or did he look at it and say, I, I've got to change my behavior. I was wrong and I made mistakes that I shouldn't do. Well, Tiger took pills and almost got in a wreck. He could have killed somebody. You're right, but he didn't. He didn't kill anybody. And does he still struggle with those things or is he working on himself to get better so he can look at his children and say, I'm trying to be a, the best father that I can. Yeah, I made mistakes. I screwed up. Right. I did things that maybe I shouldn't have done. I hope I don't repeat that. I'm working the best on myself so that I can be the best version of myself now than I've ever been. Thing of it is with a guy like Tiger, millions of people are having a magnifying glass watching him go through that process that most of us get to do without anybody ever knowing. No, I mean, I think that's a good way to do it. You know, I have, uh, I've always been that kind of dude that's like, you know, most people are battling something, man. You just hope that yours isn't illegal or that everybody yeah. doesn't know what you're doing. Um, you know, but uh, we, we live in such a self-righteous society, bro, that uh, I do my best to tune it out because, uh, People have you mad all the time because they walk around with these judgments knowing all the stuff that they do. Why yeah. do you think Grinder is such a such a uh, such a big app and all these other these other kind of things? Everybody's got issues, bro. Grinder is the one. Interesting. Hey man, I saw that on some show the other day. Yeah, Grinder uh, and Tinder and Bumble and Hinge you know, and apps I probably don't even know about. Bro, every everybody, it's not just sex. Everybody's got their thing. Sure. Um, well, you know, you know and I thought that was interesting because Dustin Johnson. A lot of people were like, "Oh man, I'm all about DJ." Dustin Johnson was a cokehead. Man, has a crazy coke problem that that I thought was well known, but I guess not. And it's it, I always think it's interesting how people will pick and choose what sin is the worst to them. Oh, dude, they. I mean, people are masters at yeah. that. Um, you know, it's all about who you like. It's just like the people we choose to forgive as a country. Uh, we'll forgive you for your transgression. Nah, not you, though. We don't like you. I mean, it's just, you know, that's one reason I try not to get caught up in all that. Man, yeah, you can't, man. Just a, yeah. It's just one of those things. I think that somebody who's been through what he's been through to, to return to that and keep pursuing it. And I like it personally. And if you don't, again, that's, I mean, you're welcome to not like it. That's totally cool. The other thing with all of this as we move forth is the Texas Rangers. They open the season. Many of you, again, listening to this on Friday, April 8th. Their season opener is today. Pretty awesome. I We've kind of talked about it a little bit. I don't expect the Rangers to be a great team. They're not going to make the playoffs. But there's a lot of hope for the future. And I will encourage you this. Evan Grant, I think it was, wrote an article in the Dallas Morning News today about the double-A team that Frisco's going to put on the field this year. That team is loaded. The Rangers are the only team in baseball that if you go to MLB Pipeline on their prospect rankings, they're the only team that has two pitchers listed in the top 50 prospects in baseball. The pitching is there. The bats are there. Frisco is going to be really interesting to watch because those guys are the future for a couple of years from now, led by Jack Leiter, obviously. But it, it's, I'm excited about it. I'm going to watch some baseball this year. And, and the Rangers are finally kind of turning around. And opening day is always fun to experience. 
thing about it is, man, when you got the pitching, you got to hope. But the other thing you got is, what you hope you have anyway, is this, dog. Guys get used to winning. I'm talking about at the double-A level, they get used to winning. And they bring that with them. Some of them will play in triple-A, but the Rangers are, are notorious for promoting guys from double-A. Yep. And so if you just get used to winning, you can show up in the big leagues expecting to win, you know, understanding that, yeah, you'll struggle some as you adjust to it, but you'll you'll yeah. expect to win. All of that is how you change the culture. It's the winning part and the expectation of winning and not accepting the mediocrity uh, that the Rangers have been for so much of the last five years. Yeah, and baseball overall is interesting because it's gotten to a point. I mean, you can the American League, I'm going to tell you straight up, Actually, all of baseball is, is pretty much like that. There's maybe seven or eight teams, which I guess in the grand scheme of things is fairly good because keep in mind there's only 30 teams in baseball. Half of them have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. I'm going to tell you straight up, the Houston Astros are going to win the division. The Chicago White Sox will easily win the division in the Central. There are four teams in the American League East the Rays, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, who could all make the playoffs. The Blue Jays are absolutely loaded. They are probably the best team in the American League. I have, I have, the, I have the Blue Jays going to the World Series, taking on the Dodgers, who are probably the best team in the National League again. But, man, you look at it, and it's the same thing in the National League. The Braves are the best team in the NL East. Milwaukee's the best team in the Central. The Dodgers are the best team in the West. And then maybe the Giants and the Padres, maybe the Mets can make the playoffs. And, and again, this is, this is an interesting season because there are six playoff teams in each league now. So before when you had to really get to the 86-87 win plateau to have any shot at a wild card, now there's a third wild card team. And we're going to see teams, if, if you can get around in some years... 82, 83? Yeah. If you can get to that 84 and 78 record, you're in the mix for that final wild card. And then you got to wonder, okay, well, will we see teams do some of the trades that we've seen over the years? Or are teams going to stay in it longer with the belief we can get into the playoffs? All we need is that third wild card. Should be interesting. Should be interesting. Um, you know, since it, that, that whole thing is uh, is cool because, you know, Baseball and playoffs go together. I just I don't want any celebrating after the wild card win. Let's just say for the divisional and the championship yeah. round. But you know I get it. Um, I don't know. I think it's good when a lot of teams think they have a shot to win, I especially agree. if they're yeah. especially if they're good teams. You know I'm not all for uh, you know I don't I don't really want to see a 79 and 83 team in the playoffs. No, and I, but, I don't uh, I don't think you will. I, I'm trying to remember. I think like the lowest wild card ever to get in is something like 85 wins. You, you know, and, yeah, and but it could yeah. happen. But like it, last year, for instance, there were teams. Toronto didn't make the playoffs. They won 91 games. Seattle won 90 and didn't make the playoffs. And over in the National League, the last wild card had to win 90 games to make the playoffs. And, and I like that. I like, like, at least be well over 500. Well, here's the deal, bro. I think the thing about baseball, and I ain't breaking no news here, is 162 games, you can't fluke your way to it. That's why you can start off great or you can have a slump that lasts two months. Yeah. And you still got four months to go hit 320. 
and uh, and get your 35 homers and your 100 ribbies. Um, so the teams that get there will earn it. And uh, there's no fluking your way to any kind of playoff, no backing in when it comes to baseball, man. Season is too long. It's too hard. And if you get there, then you've earned it and you deserve it. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. The future is coming for the Rangers. It's not going to happen yet this year. It's funny, I was just scrolling through this. The Rangers, when they made the playoffs in 2015, had the fewest wins of any team since then that has made the playoffs. They had 88 wins in 2015 and made the playoffs. And I mean, you got to go back a ways again to find those level of teams. But with the expansion of the wild card, now things will be a little bit different. And it's it's good, man. It's good. It's good for baseball to have more teams that are in it, that have a chance, that have an opportunity to do some good things and for their fan bases to understand and not really bail out in August. I'm all for Absolutely. it. I'm all in, man. My chips are in the middle of the table. Let's go. Let's get it. All right, before we wrap this thing up, let's tell you about another one of our sponsors and our fantastic friends, Juan and Brent, everything that they're doing over there at Smokey John's Barbecue. If you haven't been by and you haven't had a chance to grab the jam session bowl yet, you need to make that happen. As a matter of fact, and forgive me, Gary, because I can't remember exactly where you live, but one of our listeners recently flew in from out of state, landed at Love Field, and his first stop was Smokey John's Barbecue to, to try the jam session bowl. And he loved it, man. I mean, that's, I think that's really cool when we've got somebody like Smokey John's who does something that's just for people listening to the podcast. Dude, I don't think it's any better than that. Um, I saw that. I, w- I was glad he got there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always funny when, uh, when, when people have heard us on the podcast and then they show up and then they say, oh my God, it's fantastic. Yeah. Like, did you think we were lying to you, bro? It's awesome. So swing by, support them. They're local. They're family-owned. Also, keep in mind that they were featured on the first season of Deep Fried Dynasty. It airs on Saturdays at noon on A&E. So if you want to go back and watch the Smokey John's episode, you can check it out. It's on demand. It's also on Hulu. If you guys have Hulu, you can go back and watch that. You know, set your DVRs, set your recorders, whatever it is, like on YouTube TV that I have, you can record whatever the hell you want. Record it, man. Record Deep Fried Dynasty and give it some views so that they get a second season coming back. And then go back and watch Smokey John's on that. And that'll kind of give you an opportunity to put a face to the name of Juan and Brent, the brothers that own and do such a phenomenal job with Smokey John's Barbecue. Dude. And then don't ever forget, man, you can get it anywhere in America or the world. All you got to do is go to the marketplace, brother. Tap it on there. Get the rub. Get the uh, sauce that Matt likes to drink straight from the bottle. You can have it shipped to your house, man. Get it there by the end of the week. Indeed. Makes it easy. Smoky John's Barbecue right there in Dallas. Swing by, grab that jam session bowl, and enjoy yourself. But the Dallas Mavericks, by the time we talk to all of you again, the Mavericks regular season will be over. They hit the 50-win plateau officially for the first time since 2015 when they finished 50-32. and 32. They have two games left. They play Portland on Friday and San Antonio on Sunday. There's a good chance they could finish with 52 wins, which will be their most since they won the NBA title in 2011, which is also the last time that they advanced out of the first round. This is a team playing phenomenal basketball that still has a chance, depending on how Golden State wraps up the season, they still have a chance to get the three seed in the Western Conference. 
I think Golden State's got uh, who they got. They got the Lakers tomorrow. Well, that's a win. Uh, well, yeah, I think that was part of the problem is that the Lakers were going to lay down. I think it's still uh, – Yeah, you're they right. Still they, got a, they got Lakers go on the road at the Spurs, on the road at New Orleans. Yeah. Odds are they will they will close it out, but Steph's not playing any of those games, and they still got to go win them. Uh, but, um, you know, whatever it does is the Mavericks are playing good basketball. I don't know that the Mavericks really care all that much whether it's third or fourth seed, aside from the fact you get to miss the Suns yeah. if you get to third seed. But they're playing the best basketball. They're, they're as confident as they're going to be, and they're in a great frame, man. Luka's dominating. And um, you now see, and again, it's, I don't think it's complicated. They're playing simplistic basketball, meaning it's Luka a lot of times doing this thing. If there's a pick and roll at the top with Dwight Howard, that's cool. Otherwise, it's, hey, Luka, go penetrate, create, get into the lane. If you got it, take it. If not, kick it out to uh, Bullock or Finney Smith sitting in the corner. Those are buckets. Yeah. Dinwiddie and uh, Jalen Brunson can also create. And so they're just in a good spot right now, bro. They are in a good spot, man. I, I'm stoked for the playoffs. I'm really, really excited for the playoffs. I think it'll be, you know, it's one of those things because the Mavs don't have to worry about the play-in tournament. And the play-in tournament is, I believe, April 12th through the 15th. So when the regular season ends on Sunday night, the Mavs will get almost a complete week off before the actual playoffs begin on April 16th, which would be next Saturday. So I'll give them a time to rest up a little bit. But, man, they are playing some really good basketball. I think they're going to get out of the first round this year. Most likely, as you were kind of talking about, they're going to play the Jazz. If somehow they could find a way to get to three seed, they might play Denver. But it's probably going to be them as the four seed. But home home court advantage in the first round. And, and, you know, get a series, man. Show that you can get out of the first round. And they're poised to do that. And the way they're playing right now, the basketball that Luke has been playing the last six, seven weeks – I, I don't – to some degree, I almost don't put anything past them. No, nah, I mean, so much of pro sports is confidence, man. And uh, they're also playing terrific defense, which is going to keep you in games uh, most nights, allow you to come back if you get from if you get behind. Um, they're a really good team, man. Jason Kidd's done a hell of a job. Luka for the season, averaging 28, nine rebounds, nine assists, just shy of a triple-double. We've seen what he can do in the playoffs. I feel like Jalen Brunson's on a different level. I, I mean, th this is a team. I'm just stoked. I, I'm very, very excited. And plus, the playoffs, I'll be able to watch every single game because they'll all be on national television, which is fantastic. Dude, that's the whole key right there. I'll tell you, is it not weird that we went through this entire NBA season, almost the entire star season, the Rangers are starting another season, and Bally Sports is still impossible to find anywhere. They don't care, bro. It's incredible. And since they don't care, I don't care. Yeah, and you guys don't need to tweet at me, we'll do this or do that. I'm not going to. You want me to watch no. your freaking team? Figure out how I can get it as easy as possible. Yeah. I'm not subscribing to anything else. I'm not downloading another app. I'm not doing any of that crap. It should be easy. No. That's how I feel about it. No, it should it. be. No, it should be, most definitely. All right, and then before we go, I meant to bring this up earlier, and I forgot, and I apologize. But one of the greats of all time, and you had a story about him, Cowboys Hall of Famer Rayfield Wright passed away. 
He was 76 years old. He is a dude that I know the name. I know who he is. Won three Super Bowls in his career, a six-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro, a member of the 1970s All-Decade team. But his final season in the NFL was the year I was born. Never saw the dude play. No, he obviously was a great player. Uh, but I think uh, the interesting – there's a couple stories about him. I was trying to remember him, though. Uh, it's, and say, I, I say that because uh, one of the stories involves the book I wrote, which you can still find on Amazon now, uh, Game of My Life. Uh, it's actually a pretty good book. Um, and, and what it is is I talked to virtually every Cowboy who mattered about the best game they ever played for the Cowboys. Uh, and when I say all who mattered, I mean everybody from Troy, Emmett, Michael, Woodson, Larry Brown, Dion, Witten, Rayfield Wright. I mean, just anybody, Chuck Howley, Leroy Jordan, all of them. And that's why it's an interesting book. But I remember, man, I can't remember how I got Rayfield's number, but I got Rayfield's number. Met him at a restaurant. Because he was like, hey, I want to talk about this project before I, I agree to interview with you. I said, ah, okay. And so we're talking, and he's kind of agitated. And I'm like, why is this dude agitated? And we're talking, he says, uh, okay, that all sounds good about this book thing. Uh, sounds like you're getting paid and the publisher's getting paid. What about me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of fair. <laughs> and I said... I said, I don't know what to tell you, bro. I said, I don't have any money, man. I said, I don't even get paid until the thing is done. I said, I've got an advance, but it's, I said, I can't even remember what it was, but I told him it was probably $2,500. I said, it was $2,500, dog. That's not like I'm getting rich doing this. I said, um, I don't have any money to pay you, bro. Uh, if you don't want to talk because of that, that's cool. I mean, but I've talked to all your guys, man, from your era. Dorsett, Roger, Preston Pearson, Drew, Tony Hill. I've talked to all those guys, man. Uh, Leroy Jordan, Cliff Harris. <laughs> I said, none of them have asked me for anything. You're the only one. So uh, if you want to call him and check, go ahead, man. But I ain't got no money for you. And so he's, we talked for a few more minutes. He got up and left. And he came back and he's like, Okay, no problem. I'll do it. <laughs> what? God. <laughs> and right. then he was great because I can't remember if this was the game of his life or not, but he was a tight end in college, got moved to tackle, and his first game, so this couldn't have been his game of his life because his first game was against Deacon Jones, the Hall of Fame pass rusher. He said he gave him a head slap for the first time and left him dizzy for like a quarter and a half. And he said, can you believe that thing was legal back then, that you could head slap people like that? <laughs> so that's kind of one combined story I remember from Rayfield. <laughs> and the other story is obviously, now every time I saw him after that, he was great. Uh, but uh, I don't think there's ever been a guy more excited to get into the Hall of Fame, uh, especially for the Cowboys, and even more excited than Drew, than Rayfield Wright, who just put on a show during his uh, Hall of Fame speech. Yeah, that's right. I, do, I remember that, a little bit of it. Like, Drew Pearson, obviously, was crazy excited, but I do remember a little bit of that. Oh, Rayfield was talking about a saint to a sinner and all this other stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's like he was preaching, man. 
Yeah, he obviously is a member of the Cowboys Ring of Honor. He was, I mean, depending on how you look at it, the 13th to the 14th member because he went in the same exact time that Cliff Harris went in. And just one of the all-time great Cowboys. But again, a, a guy that I know the name. It's like, I mean, Cliff Harris is the same thing. I know the name. I've seen highlights. But I, I was born when they were done. So they weren't. That's not the era of Cowboys that I like. Those are my Cowboys, if that makes sense. No, yeah. You're, yours are Troy Emmett and Michael. Man. Oh, yeah, no uh, doubt. And then ever since after that, you know, those guys in the 90s with all the names that I could pull out that are either Hall of Famers or should be like Darren Woodson, obviously, or Larry Allen, Charles Haley, all those guys that were a big yeah. part of what they did in the early 90s and, and throughout, you know. It's always nice when you get to meet your favorite football player of all time and, and your radio partner says – while you're sitting there looking at him, hey Jason, did you know that Matt has a jersey of you and your favorite, you're his favorite football player of all time? And grown ass Matt looks at grown ass Jason Witten as grown ass Jason Witten looks at me and goes, Is that right? <laughs> I was like, I mean, what am I supposed to say to that? I was like, Yeah, you know what? Can we just start the interview? Yeah, I thought that was a good time. It was a, it was a soft, it was a soft open. It was funny. Yeah. He laughed. I mean, he had he had a he chuckled, so. That was funny. But Rayfield Wright, 76 years old, man. Too young, seems like. I was going to say, it sure as hell don't sound that old these days, bro. Not at all, dude. 70, I mean, 76, come on. You got, we got to all start getting to 80, at least. Yeah, no joke. Man. So there it is. All right, enjoy your weekend. We will be back on Monday as we continue looking ahead to Cowboys draft. We'll know who has won the Masters. Who knows what kind of fun that we will have next time. But thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.